Welcome to the Leadership Drip, coffee and conversations for leaders leading the next generation. We're excited to welcome another incredible guest to the table. But before we do, could you do us a favor and hit that subscribe button? While you're at it, go ahead and give us a five-star review. That helps these conversations reach other great leaders. Pour yourself a cup of coffee and get ready to join us at the table for another great episode of The Leadership Drip. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Leadership Drip. Jeff, it is a good day in the neighborhood. Besides having coffee, why is it such a good day? Well, number one, it's beautiful outside. But number two, we have a phenomenal guest on our show today. An incredible guest. Incredible guest. We're really excited. Actually, we're very honored to have Pastor Chris Hodges. He's the founding and senior pastor of Church of the Highlands. And uh, since he began in 2001, Church of the Highlands has grown uh, to have several campuses across the state of Alabama. He also co-founded ARC, which you have a lot of experience with, Jeff. I've been connected to ARC. And uh, it's the Association of Related Churches, uh, which has launched hundreds of churches across the United States. He's also uh, founded GROW, which is specializing in training and resourcing of pastors and churches uh, to help them break the barriers uh, that they're facing in every single day and reach their growth potential. So, Pastor Chris, what a joy for you to be on the show. Thanks for being here. Yeah, welcome to the table. Thanks so much, guys. I really look forward to it. Good to get to know you guys a little bit better. And so thank you for having me. No problem. What an honor. So we have to ask, you're in yes. Alabama. Yes. And I've, I've driven through Alabama on my way to the beach. So I'm not going to say, like, I've not spent a lot of time in Alabama. But I know that it's either War Eagle or... Or roll tide, and as a pastor, where Maybe. do you land on that conversation? Maybe <laughs> neither. So neither that's a surprise. I actually went to LSU, go Tigers, and um, and and I always say I think it was the wisdom of God that I was neither because it's it's almost a 50-50 split in the state of Alabama. Maybe a little bit more toward uh, Alabama than Auburn. Maybe a little bit, but um, they don't like each other so much that I don't think they could have handled it if I was one or the other. So in the wisdom of God, I was neither. That's, that's a yeah, great win. And, and that's a blessing, I'm sure. And never mind. And please for, except for two weekends every year. It's a great. It's a that's blessing. exactly. Yeah. That's right. And please forgive the uh, pre-show insult by 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 you know acknowledging the wrong team a little bit earlier. But yeah, so that's that's good. Yeah, your church would probably be half the size that it is now. Um, if, if you were one of the other fans. So That's probably true. <laughs> so you planted Church of the Highlands, which obviously is a great church. A lot of people know about Church of the Highlands. You have uh, spent significant amount of time investing, developing, leading, coaching, encouraging pastors um, through that since 2001. And, you know, obviously that is your heart. That is your passion. That is your calling. But uh, when you launched Church of the Highlands in 2001, did you ever kind of imagine or see in advance what it is today and the impact that it has? Yeah, not even close. I mean, not even close. And I was dreaming big. The model, though, before we planted our church was, you know, one location. Uh, there was no such thing as the multi-site. Right. So we were actually thinking one day we might have a 6,000-seat auditorium mm-hmm. in one location, you know, do a couple. And I thought that was just the biggest dream I could ever dream, you know, and and, uh, and and as Ephesians 3.20 says, you know, God has this reputation of going exceedingly abundantly above the things that we can uh, ask or even think. And that's certainly been the case. And and honestly, guys, there's nobody more amazed than me because I know me. And, yeah. Uh, and, I'm, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and I'm, I'm not this good, you know. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I really don't think any of us are this good. And, and so um, God has definitely blessed it. Um, and I give him all the glory. Yeah, I I love hearing great stories from leaders like yourself, especially from that perspective. And I I know I was on staff at Saddleback. Rick always loved to tell a story of how he stood on top of the mountain and he just said, hey, 
Lord, I'll do anything you want. I just want to stay in one place for 40 years. Like that was his main thing. Like he just wanted to plant roots in a community, serve that community and love that community. So it's really cool to see kind of, I want to say parallel stories, but similar stories for you and and another great leader like Rick. And I think that's echoed across several different um, leaders of your caliber and of your stature, certainly. But, but that, that concept of we had big dreams, but even those dreams were, were pale in comparison. So at what point did it cross over from, Hey, that big dream was big, but my goodness, this could be so much more. Like, like, what was that like? You know, it wasn't me planning it. That's, that's, you know, that's the surprising thing for a lot of people who study us. It looks more intentional than it was. Yeah. And it looks almost like we had this giant map of Alabama and thought, okay, we're going to keep putting campuses here. And probably 90% of our campuses were opportunities that came to us Hmm. instead of us going to them. Um, I always tell people I'm way more of an opportunist than I am a strategist. Uh, uh, That I, and, and my, what I tried to do guys was just continually put the church and myself in a healthy place. So God could bring the opportunities because as my friend John Maxwell says, when opportunity knocks, it's too late to prepare. Right. Yeah. So I was always thinking, just what can I do to make myself healthy? What can I do to posture the church in a position of health to realize opportunities if they did come? And by the way, the two best natural ways to prepare an organization for opportunities is don't spend all the money. You have to have margins <laughs> in the yeah. finances because if an opportunity comes, you know, and, and you want to you want to buy it or do it or realize it. Most people are are in debt up to their eyeballs or have or, you know they their budgets are reaching their limits. And then mm-hmm. the second place is to have more leaders trained than you need. So I say have more money than you spend and more leaders than you need. So we thought just train leaders, train leaders, train leaders way beyond what we needed. And sure enough, God brought us all these opportunities. So did the, did the leadership training piece create duplication and greater reach? I mean, cause it feels like if you trained everybody as a leader, you wouldn't have many followers. And I know that's not a true par- uh, paradigm, but was it that you kept training and more people kept coming and God kept pouring into that that way? Exactly. And in fact, it, it wasn't just training them as leaders. It was, it was, you know, uh, let's go ahead. And even though we have only one drum kit and only need one drummer at a time, let's still have 10 drummers. Let's, right. let's be mm-hmm. ready. Let's, let's, and, and let's have more small group leaders than we currently need. And um, cause I always felt like the, that the net that, that catches the fish is the leadership structure that you've created. And, and so that's the first thing Jesus did. Jesus built a team. And so, yeah. um, so I was just in this team mindset and trying to keep the organization healthy financially. And then of course, um, probably the part of our church that very few people know about that is a, a real big part of what happened is the prayer culture that we have. Mm. I mean, we, yeah. we take prayer very seriously. We have twice a year, 21 days of prayer. And I'm talking getting up at six o'clock in the morning, uh, thousands of people gathering at, you know, at six o'clock in the morning to seek God. And we fast a lot. I grew up in a fasting culture yeah. uh, in the home church that I was raised in. And so that I think has a lot to do with it as well. I want to, I want to kind of dig in just a little bit because I, I know from experience and you probably do as well. We've been to enough conferences. We've been to enough, you know, uh, pastor training style mm-hmm. events or whatever. And there's a, there's a common misconception, especially with pastors and the ones that are, that are listening now is uh, back to this financial piece, right? 
And so the, the false the false idea is that you have to have millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars in reserve in order to take the next step. But in reality, you just need to be prepared for what whatever God has within your margins for what's next. Right. It's, it's always about that obedience step. Not necessarily, not necessarily. You, you understand what I'm trying to say? Like, it's, it doesn't matter how much money you have. It matters what you do with what you've got. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Our first year, we didn't, we didn't even know if we would have enough money to, to get through the first year. But, but we, we, uh, we, we tithed, the church tithed. Right. So the first, in fact, the first year we gave 23% to missions in our very first year. Um, we always put some aside, you know, and then we never budgeted based on total income. We actually even wrote it into our bylaws that a budget would be 90% of the previous year's income yeah. so that you go into every year with margin. And now our margins are almost 40%. So, and that's yeah. not savings. That's a big misconception. Margin isn't savings. Margin is just money without a name on it. Yeah. So you don't have to spend it. So it gives you opportunities to say yes to a lot of things. So mm-hmm. even today when a natural disaster will happen, yeah. we don't have to take an offering. We're, we're on the ground. We're, we're, right. we're, we're doing those things. And, and we've had several, several of our campuses were opportunities from maybe a failed business or somebody just had, had to do a, a quick sale of something. And because we had, you know, the, the cash to do it, we were able to say yes to those opportunities. So, yeah. but it started off with a very, very small amount of margin. Yeah. It's that's encouraging for a guy in the first year of a church plant <laughs> right here. Like that was like, for Jeff. Yeah. That, that was, that was Jeff, encouraging. That's worth the whole price of admission today. Like you might, it's going to be tight that first year. That's a good, that's good to know. Um, oh, we had one staff member our first year. Yeah. Me. Yeah. That's, that's where we're at too. Pay myself a 60% of what I was making as an associate pastor at mother church. You yeah. Know. There you go. So, I feel that. True stories. <laughs> true stories of the church planner. <laughs> so, so when did you talk about this dream, like 6,000 seat auditorium and, and God has just kept expanding it. And how do you find now, Pastor Chris, uh, 20 plus years into Church of the Highlands, Highlands College, all these things to kind of keep dreaming in it not being like, hey, we're, we've achieved X, Y or Z, but to keep thinking and dreaming and being creative and moving the, the organization and the church and really the kingdom forward. It's a great question. And it's and I have to give tribute to the culture I was raised in my home church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana um, is is and my pastor is such a great commission focused church and pastor. I mean, this deep love for the world. And if you really deeply love the whole world and, and you know that, that that's what's on God's heart is the whole world. God so loved the world, the mm-hmm. whole world. Uh, he doesn't want any to perish, but all to, you know, to have eternal life. Well, I mean, you, you if that stays in your heart, this, this great, commi- I call it great commission focus. Yeah. If you have true great commission focus, you're not building an organization. You're not building a church. You're not trying to get to a certain size. Um, you're trying to, you know, as one evangelist said, populate heaven and plunder hell. You're, mm-hmm. We're trying to, to, to do everything we can to see people um, find Christ. And, you know, and I think sometimes churches and pastors lose sight of that. Yeah. And, and, you know, and they do get satisfied. And I think that's what the prayer culture does. One of the disciplines that I do to keep this great commission stirred up in my heart is I, I travel to an underdeveloped nation every year mm. just to see how people live and to see what people are going through and to, to put myself in positions, you know, to, to lead people personally to Christ. Uh, I always ask myself, you know, how many people are you personally leading, not on a stage? And mm. it keeps my passion for souls. And so honestly, it's not driven by size. 
it's driven by souls. Yeah, mm, that's good. Yeah, that's a huge, huge piece of it. So, um, so when you started Church of the Highlands in 2001, right? So from a leadership perspective, obviously you had some, some college education experience. You had some pastoral ministry experience. And obviously there were people who were probably pouring into you at that point. But as a young pastor, as a young leader in 2001, Church of the Highlands, what is, what is something you kind of wish you knew then that you knew now from a leadership perspective? Yeah, how important my relationships were going to be. And I already knew it back then, but I had no idea how much of where I am was going to be directly tied to the people that I was that I was connected to uh, mm-hmm. relationally, from a mentoring standpoint, um, from a modeling standpoint. And thank God I, I had I had the I have the blessing of having. Um, a, a, a father who really loves God and loved me and kissed me and prayed for me every day, you know, and a pastor who loved God and loved me and mentored me. And, I, and I've been very fortunate. Even my wife's dad was, was practically, was truly my best friend in the whole world, but he, but he was a, such a bigger than life kind of person. He's now with the Lord. And, but he, but the things that he poured into me, his attitude, his way with people. And now I'll look back, that's, that shaped me. And I always yeah. say that all of us really are the sum total of our relationships, good or bad. All of us are. And that's why the Old Testament priest, you know, that he wore this, uh, this breast piece, they call it. It was a it hung around his neck and it was a breast piece, but it had the names of the 12 tribes of Israel yeah. over his heart. And I always ask pastors and leaders, what names are over your heart? Are they good mm. ones? Are they bad ones? Like what's written on your heart? Because we are all the sum total of our relationships. That's good. Yeah. I think it was, I think it was pastor Wayne that said, uh, life moves at the speed of relationships. Right. I mean, so I think I can't tell you how many times on the, on the show we've heard that echoed across every conversation, almost every episode. episode. Yeah. Nobody can name the last 10 sermons they've heard. And everybody can name 10 people that have been right. back to their life. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So who have some of those people, you mentioned your, your father and your pastor, but who have been some of those coaches and mentors in your life that have made such a deep investment in you, Pastor Chris? Uh, John Maxwell. I'm very fortunate that, you know, he's almost like a father or really like a big brother to me. We spend uh, a lot of time together, but I probably learned more about leadership, more about being present, mm. uh, more about making your life count. Um, mm-hmm. He's the most intentional, hardest working, most fun to be around person I've ever met in my life. And um, but he's very, very intentional that he taught me um, his my his, he's written 84 books. And my favorite one is called Today Matters and just how to make a masterpiece of every day. Um, I've had my father-in-law, by Billy Hornsby, who um, he, he was I never saw in the 29 years that I knew Billy. I never once saw him have a bad day ever. Wow. Ever. He had the best attitude of any person ever. Um, and, and it's people like that. Um, I've learned from mentors like Craig Rochelle, uh, mm-hmm. who uh, pastors the largest church in the nation. And I, I've, I've been fortunate to have regular conversations about, tell me what you're learning. Tell me how you built this. What did you And, and really, I, I point a lot to the success of Highlands from an organizational and uh, a systems standpoint to uh, Life Church and to Craig. And um, just I learned so much. But, but, but I've also, guys, I've disciplined myself to make sure I have people in my life. And, mm-hmm. and I always have one church every year that I just study. I just pick a church hmm. and I just, I'm going to learn everything there is to know about that church because I know they're going to teach me something that we don't do that we should be doing. 
And, and once I learn it, I'm going to apply it to our church yeah. and I'm even going to try to perfect it so they can come learn from me how, how I took what I learned <laughs> from them and made it better. And, and it's my favorite part of leadership is growing. Uh, yeah, but it all yeah. comes by being intentional in your relationship. So unpack this studying a church. Do you do you go visit them? Do you get in touch with their staff? What's what's that look like? I mean, everybody's been watching you guys from afar, but what does it mean for you to go study a church? Well, that's one of the things people don't know about me. They, they think I'm only showing them our model. But actually, every year, yeah, I do just pick a church. I get try to get to know the pastor. Yeah, you know, that's what I usually can do that. I'll make several site visits. I like to attend a Sunday I want to see how they do everything from what they put on the walls to how they check kids in to, oh, that's that's a great idea. I love that. Or I even love mm-hmm. that slogan. I love the what you called that. I love what you named this. And I just dig in. I just try. I watch sermons. I'll, I'll, I'll tune in every Sunday. I always tell people I go to church on Monday and mm-hmm. I do. I just go to church on Monday. I, I watch sermons, get my Bible out, take notes. And and it's just because I have this appetite to to get, to get better. I always say, yeah. if you don't get better, you'll become a critic of those who are. Right. And, and God didn't call us to be a critic. He called us to be a disciple, to learn mm-hmm. and grow. And I'm actually tired of the critics in the world. You know, that, Amen that's, to that. about everything, I'm just gonna, I'm just, I'm, I'm even if I totally agree with them theologically or style, they still can teach me something. Right. Yeah. Is that part of the follow up question? Is that part of the culture you've built into your team? Did, does your team study churches and go on site visits and have oh, essentially yeah. field trips? More than that, I actually require every department head. So if you're over children's ministry or student ministry or worship or whatever, every department head has to know three churches who do what they do better than they do it. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And learn and learn from them. I want you, I, and I'll facilitate. I'll facilitate the the relationship. So I'll, I'll, I'll mm. if you can't get in contact with them, I'll call their pastor, and you know, and, and so I broker the relationship. But every one of them, uh, every one of them are learning from churches who who do what they do better than we do it, and um, and it's just a culture we've created that actually is just a lot of. Fun. Yeah, yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. Idea. Jeff and I are big fans of reverse mentoring, meaning we we look to someone else who's much younger than us, and we ask them questions you know, more than just, Hey, teach us about TikTok, Right. So more than just that, but still, um, do you have young adults or young leaders who you, that you are listening to and saying, Hey, can you teach me about this? Or what are you hearing about that? And like, what are some of those main conversations that are happening for you sort of in that reverse mentoring role? Oh, absolutely. In fact, if you look at the history, we're 21 years old, I have intentionally staffed the church with young people. Mm-hmm. Um, and very young people. We have a very large 20 something uh, uh, age bracket on our staff. And that that helps us to keep it fresh. And then when we're in the creative process, I intentionally put the put the younger people in the room. Yeah. So because I know what I know. I don't know what they I, I just don't know what they know. Right. <laughs> so I even check have my sermon material checked with them to make sure because I'll <laughs> use illustrations. Uh, I'll use illustrations from, you know, I don't know much about pop music or you know any of that kind of stuff but inevitably i'll use an illustration logo pc that nobody even knows who that person is anymore you know? <laughs> so, so oh yeah absolutely you know and um uh, even recently when you know when our nation was going through racial tensions i did 15 learning sessions i, I sat into 15 se- different sessions with young people and african americans and people on our staff just said man just tell me what i don't know tell, yeah, talk to yeah. me just just talk to me i want to i want to learn yeah. i want to grow and it was very insightful. Yeah. So has this intentionally staffing young then helped Highland stay young as a church? 
because churches can age quickly. Absolutely. And we do the same thing with our volunteers. So every year at our dream, we call our volunteers, the dream teamers, Mm -hmm. Uh, every year at our dream team party, I asked the dream teamers who've been on the dream team a long time to move over and start coaching younger ones. So get off that camera, let a young person get on that camera, get off that guitar, let a younger person play that guitar. And we intentionally had this move over and why don't you coach now mindset? Because, because some of those uh, uh, serving spots, especially when it comes to music, can man people will hold those so tightly but we've created a culture of hey you you entered in at this level why don't you graduate to a to more of a mentoring role why don't you lead a small group of, of young leaders you know and um and, and you just have to be very intentional about it so here's a, here's a leadership um question to that because a lot of times in churches you know we're we're great at making sacred cows out of particular ministries or particular serve functions I'm the head usher, and so that's my role for life, right? So how have you been able to tackle or address? I know you're talking about a coaching culture. I'm sure it's not always been that way. So how, as a leader, did you approach or did you address someone who said, but I'm the head usher, or I'm the one that plays guitar Mm -hmm. on stage? Like, how have you helped them see a different perspective? Well, it's not always easy. So you have to just build a relationship. People don't know, care what you know till they know that you care. So mm-hmm. uh, we, we have a very relational culture where we'd probably take them to lunch, have that conversation uh, or ask them to help us start something else. Hey, you have yes. so much experience there. Why mm-hmm. don't you let go of this and help me build this? Because you have so much, you know, you have so much history here. You know a lot. And so, yeah, you, you definitely have to do it. But but it's the same. It happens naturally in families. You know, my wife and I have been married 36 years now. We've stopped having kids. OK, that's that's a smart thing to do when you're almost 60. Right. Yeah. But we're having grandkids yeah. so now. So so now we're in a grandparenting mindset. So and we just got to teach that to our other leaders that, hey, when you after you birth children's or birth ministries, it's time to let that ministry go. We had to let our kids leave the house and have their own families. And yeah. by the grace of God, now we have eight great eight, eight grandchildren and it's the best part of my life, you know? Yeah. So yeah, it's just a lot of fun. You might have some, you know, in the background back there somewhere hiding. You never know, right? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> so it's an interesting statement, Pastor Chris, that, that we have grandkids of ministries almost. Um, Cause I feel like Rob's right that we hold t- very tightly in church to the thing we gave birth to. Um, so the, the shifting of that, the mentality of that in churches, and especially in small church world, how could you help a leader sort of maybe in a smaller church go and, and, and not necessarily address something, but, but help somebody see that, that we have to be re- reproducing and reproducing and reproducing and not just holding tight to what we have? You just got to model it. Honestly, I think probably the best way to do it is show them and, yeah. and let go of some things yourself. Um, mm. I've, I've over the years, when I first started the church, I had no worship leader and I did music my whole life. And I led the worship for the first four years of church, of the Highlands. Uh, I love doing it. I think I'm, I think when I'm leading, uh, the flow moment of worship, I think I'm, I think I'm, I think I'm really good at it. Right. Yeah. But, but I, but I, but I needed to let it go. I needed cause it needed to happen in our younger leaders. And even though it's something I, I deeply love, I still love to do it. I don't do it. And even now, as I approach 60 years old, um, I'm thinking about, you know, one day, I mean, if the Lord's return doesn't happen in my lifetime, you know, I'm going to, I will die one, one, so far one out of one have died. And, uh, and, <laughs> and I want to leave something that can be sustained. There's no, yeah. you know, so I'm trying very hard 
for our ministry not to be a personality based ministry, but yeah. where I'm raising up a, a bunch of young young communicators. In fact, um, um, this next month we're going to have a, a young communicator Sunday, and at every campus we're going to have twenty different communicators all in their twenties awesome. communicate That's on awesome. that day. Yeah, just and so I'm trying to model it so I can say, hey, look, just like I've done it, why don't you do it? So, yeah. and I think always, by the way, guys, that anything that you feel like you have a hard time getting into the life of another leader, you have to ask yourself, are you doing it? Like, mm. for instance, man, our, our church doesn't worship very well. Well, do you worship very well? I mean, yeah. are you modeling it? Uh, you know, and I, and, and I, cause the way I say it is you can't really create culture. You can only be it. Right. That's very important. Culture can't be created. You can't create a prayer culture. You have to be a prayer culture and then it, 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 it infects everyone else. So I don't ask our, for instance, I don't ask our church members, to invite people to church, I tell them the stories of the people I'm inviting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it jumps on them. That spirit, you know, it's like, oh, it sounds so much. I make it sound like so much fun that then they start doing it. Right. So we don't say, hey, you guys need to bring your friends. Hey, let me tell you about a friend I brought to church. I'm inviting to church. That's awesome. That's cool. And, yeah. Yeah. So you, you, you don't create it. You, you don't create culture. You have to be culture. That's amazing. Love that. Well, let, let's shift gears just a little bit because obviously we're on a college campus. We're producing the show from from here at Lee University. Um, but some people may know, some people may not. You have Highlands College there at the church. And so obviously we're big fans of, of the continuing education conversation. So tell us a little bit how that how God birthed that in your heart, what it is, how you serve, how it serves other churches, et cetera. So my first ministry assignment uh, when I was 23 years old, well, I moved, my, my wife and I, one year married, moved to Colorado Springs to be a youth pastor. And, um, and I, we lived one mile from the gate of the Air Force Academy. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up being asked by some of the, um, the, the military people that worked there, would I come and teach a religion class? It was an elective that they don't, they don't even have on this elective anymore. But back then, they actually could offer to the cadets a, a, um, a religion class. And I got infected by the academy model of learning. Mm-hmm. And the academy academy model isn't just classroom. It's more of a holistic approach of they go to school just like every other university. They're, they're college students. But then in the afternoon, they're jumping out of airplanes. Yeah. And then in the evening, their bedrooms are being inspected and they're having to walk in straight lines. So their character is being developed. And then every one of them have have some type of physical regimen that they have to follow. And I've always had this dream that wouldn't it be great that uh, in the Christian space, which, by the way, we need a bunch. We need a bunch of Christian space universities. We need a bunch of them to fulfill the request of Jesus um, that the harvest is plentiful. It's the workers that are few. We need more workers. But we, we dreamed, could we create a uh, Christian university in the academy model? So could we make it like that? And so Highlands College only accepts students that want to go into full-time ministry, just like right. the military academies. You don't go to the Air Force Academy to not be in the Air Force. Right. right. They're all going there for that one reason, okay? Mm-hmm. And so, th- so this is specifically, if not for marketplace, but for full-time ministry leaders, but we built it in our four pillars of academic instruction, uh, character formation, um, uh, ministry training. They don't jump out of airplanes. They actually, we teach them how to do every every aspect of church life. They know how to do it all by the time they graduate. In fact, they graduate with 800 hours of 
hands-on training in the church wow. world. And, in, and then, of course, spiritual development. And, um, and so, I, anyway, we're just having the time of our lives, um, um, again, trying to put boots on the field, man, just trying to get more people into full-time ministry. So a yeah. question of curiosity, right? So we obviously, as a Christian campus, we have a school of religion here uh, that serves its own purpose. It's obviously theologically deep and intense and great, biblically sound, all of those things. And I love what you're saying about the model here. Um, what are you hearing from in conversations from students who attend Highlands College? Obviously, they're coming there. They're probably slightly more biased in that direction. But as a Christian university, um, I, I'm curious because we're seeing trends. Jeff and I have talked to a lot of other people. There's there's so many different churches like like Highlands who are launching these colleges. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jensen Franklin down the road. I mean, we could name a ton of them, yeah. right? So. They're, they're launching these 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 colleges in their in their churches and they're doing great work. But what is the conversation from the students who are attending? What are they saying as to why they chose to go to Highlands College versus a traditional four year program? Like what is the the separation there? You think you think, first of all, we are a, a traditional accredited four year program. Um, and so we we do graduate, you know, that right. that type of student as well. But 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 it's what we all know is missing. And in tra- in any type of training, whether it be university setting or any that matter, and that is, take me on the journey and let me do it. Yes, we we need the application side of things. We need that that I call it the Hebrew versus the Greek style. You know, and the the Greek model is really how all of our education spaces are done uh, in America, and that's where a person lectures, people take notes, you give them a test, and they graduate. And when you graduate, your degree is in the topic, the the subject that you studied. So you might have a math degree or you might have a management. I, have, I actually have a business degree in, in, in management. But in the Hebrew model, you don't you're not in a row. You're in you're in the circle and you and you don't listen to yeah. one. You, you ask questions. It's more of an interactive learning style and, and it's way more personal. And that's why, you know, it's Jesus disciple model. It's the follow me as I follow Christ. Let me take you on the journey. Let me let you put your hands on. It. And so all of our students at Highlands College are deployed in our 23 campuses every Sunday and in 20 prisons for that matter, putting their hands on. So you could go to any campus this coming Sunday and those are Highlands College students leading the worship. They're, they're, they're in the children's ministry. They're, yeah. they have their, they're in the video, video editing suite. So it's the education plus the hands-on. It's the go to school and jump out of the airplane. It's, it's the, it, you're going to give them that on the job, hands-on mentoring style training. Yeah, I, yeah, it's that's so key. We, Rob and I, are always interacting with students here. We have um, I have students at our church, and who have graduated. and And to use a sports term, they've lacked the reps. Like they they have the degree, they have some experience. They did maybe an internship or two. But uh, there's one young man in, in particular. I asked him the other day. I do a Friday morning mentoring time, and I said, "How many times have you preached?" And he said twice, and he's applying for jobs as a youth pastor. And I'm going, you don't have the reps ready to step into that. And so I love this model of, of the, the and, the education and the experience, not then. Because sometimes it's education, then the experience. And so I think that's really valuable, especially in the young adult culture, 
who's already engaged in that. Um, one of the things we're seeing here, Pastor Chris, and I want to get your opinion on this, is we see a lot of kids who have a call to ministry but are not studying it. So they'll we'll run into students all the time. They say, I have a call to worship ministry, but I'm studying the athletic training or I'm studying this. I'm in the nursing program. Nursing program. Whatever. Yeah. yeah and, and not that those aren't ministerial type places, but they have specific calls to church ministry. Um, and I think some of the fear is the, the money piece, like they're not going to make money. We talked about it at the very beginning. How are you seeing that at Highlands College addressed that that? Not that ministry can pay or make a living, but that tension of ministry and then the the marketplace of making making a living. Well, first of all, I think a lot of this is driven by God himself, because I think um, the generations in front of us, a lot of the evangelism is going to take place in marketplace if we can teach (laughs) students how to be marketplace ministers effectively and not get, you know, sidetracked by just having a job and raising a family, which are wonderful things to do. But a lot of times people do have a young people have a call of God on their life. And it is the money that becomes now a barrier, mm-hmm. which is why we have, we've built an endowment so that no student graduates with debt, mm. none. Um, and again, just like the military academies, they, they actually pay full tuition for these students. So money's not a barrier for them to go into the military. We're, 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 we're attempting to, to do the very same thing uh, at Highlands college because money does become a barrier, but I think I don't know that we've made the strong appeal to the call, the call, the, like we like like they did back in the generation yeah. that that raised us up. Yeah. You know, was, I remember altar calls like, "If you want to go in the mission field, come on." You know, and I, I I think we need to as leaders need to make stronger calls to ministry. I mean, Jesus went and just started hunting down disciples, and he <laughs> said, "Come, hey, come, fall, drop your net. Hey, stop doing that. Stop doing that. Come do this with me." And I, I'm, I'm ready to go there again to, to speak to this ge- young generation and say, hey, look, the world needs you. You're, you're it. Dro- yeah. Drop all of that. Let me show you. You follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. And, 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 you know, of course, the Bible says they left everything and followed him. Yeah. And we're talking about them today. And what young people have to realize uh, is there's a level of fulfillment in fulfilling the call of God in your life that no job, no money, no career path uh, can, can do. And I don't know. I think we just need to preach that a little harder and make that a little. Yeah. That's we, great. we recently had a conversation with a young Gen Z leader. Uh, he's doing great things. His name is Luke LeFever. And he, um, he said that Gen Z specifically, right. This is what we're focusing on primarily in our context, but Gen Z specifically really desires that more blunt against the grain truth, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to repentance or evangelism or sin or something like, like, tell me what I'm doing wrong so we can get it corrected and I can follow Jesus in the freedom that, that I'm supposed to. But I think it also applies to this conversation you're having about calling. Like let's call those gifts out Ephesians chapter four, yeah. like let's, let's go after them and let's, let's help them respond in such a way as they, that they are able to do that. Uh, with great passion, great vigor, great intelligence. But I think I think you're right. And we've talked about the attractional model back and forth or whether it's good or bad or whatever. I don't think that's the larger point. I think the larger point is in our preaching, in our teaching, in our discipleship, we've got to get a lot more uh, forthright and I want to say blunt with yeah. with you, you know what I'm saying? Like direct. I mean, with direct with with Gen Z. But I think they're receptive to it, to it. 
Oh, you, and it, so, so that's the new attractional model. Let me say it yes. that way. <laughs> You're right. That's, yeah, I think that's I think we point. need to realize, you know, the, the the times we live in, and I do think this is a generation that wants it straight. Tell me straight up. Yes. And so we are. We are actually. Uh, we're, we're we've renewed altar calls at all of our college meetings and student meetings, and when we're we're talking missions trips and you know bringing them into those settings. And they're they're loving it. They're they're loving being developed as leaders, and then being able to be released uh, to lead in our church too. Yeah. So, and it's just a promise I make them. And then there are those that have that full time call, and and we we need to we need to do everything we can because I'm telling you, we don't have a harvest problem. Yeah, right. it's so true. And, and we don't other, have a we have a, we have a worker problem. Yes, and, and so the, the <laughs> other piece of that is has never been truer. Yeah, the other piece of that is if we don't provide it, they're creating it on their own. Some of the most exciting things that are happening, at least on our campus, are these organic bursts of students who are saying, like, I need Jesus and I need to know him face to face, like, and I want to go after him. And Mm -hmm. like, if they're not getting it in chapel or if they're not getting it in some other formal sort of setting, they're just creating their own spaces to go after him. And so I think as leaders, it's sort of our shepherding discipleship responsibility to help create the spaces for them to do that in a way that leads towards healthy results. I don't know if that makes sense or not. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Yeah. Well, let's shift gears just really quickly, because if, if anybody knows Pastor Chris, they know he's a systems guy. That's like true. he is like <laughs> the guru of church systems. So you're part of you help co-create ARC, which is association related churches, one of the probably the best church planning organizations in North America, if not the world. What led to sort of launching this um, ministry mechanism, this church planning organization, and especially empowering with systems? Because that's really what you guys do. So what what started that? Well, 21 years ago, the phone was ringing off the hook saying, you know, how did you launch your church? Yeah. And mm-hmm. and I was answering every call and, and basically said, man, it would, sure would be great if we could uh, put all these in the, in the same room together and just say it once. And so the very first event that we ever did with ARC was called the Church Planters Roundtable, CPR. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, I, and, and I basically went and found eight ingredients that made our church launch, not our church, but our, the launch of our church successful. Like, what does it require to have a successful launch? And honestly, to answer your question, it was the demand. That's what started ARC. The demand was so high. And God was stirring the leaders. We, a lot of these, we, we didn't even know, you know, these weren't our leaders. The, right. One of the misnomers about ARC is that we are a network of churches, which we're really not. We're, we're a subcontractor. We're a, we're a church planting, you know, we, we, we help you develop the product and you, it's your product. Right. We, don't, we don't govern our churches. We're not, we're not a denomination, right? And so, and so but we, we felt like we had found a formula um, and, you know, we, we found, hey, make sure you do these eight things if you want to have a successful launch. And really, the 2000s has been a church planting season. It has and, been. and it's important because we were losing churches at the rate of about 3000 a year in, in America. And I, I, I think it was honestly, I think it was stirred by the spirit of God so that we don't turn into a Europe, you know, where right. you can't even find it, find a good life giving church. And so. Um, it's still the joy of our lives to share what we know about church launching and, and mm-hmm. church planting to as many leaders as we can. We even serve a, a bunch of denominations kind of as they're, again, a subcontractor. We'll go in and show you how to do it. 
and um, and I don't even know how long it'll last. How long, as long as we, as long as it's working and the and the demand is there, and uh, but it's really been um, you know the joy of our life. You know, Jesus said, "I will build my church." Mm-hmm. So every time we launch one, it just kind of feels like we're doing what Jesus would want us to do. It's, it's what is what He's all about is to build the church. So yeah. we we're just church builders. So, so with art, you obviously saw some trends, you met the demand, you knew that there was something there that you needed to pay attention to. What do you see on the horizon as the trends that we need to be paying attention to now in the local church context, especially young adults? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I mean, a lot of it goes back to our conversation we just had about uh, being a bit more direct and calling them to, to, um, true theology, uh, uh, you know, not a deconstructed theology, not a deconstructed um, mindset. And I don't know that we're going to see the the popularity of church like we did over the past 20 years. And I think we have to prepare ourselves maybe even for a a season of persecution, Mm -hmm. which every generation of the church since the book of Acts has experienced. They've, Mm -hmm. They've experienced both explosive growth and persecution. And, um, and I don't know that we've really prepared our churches for that. I think there are some other wars coming our way, so to speak, with on certain issues. And I think it's important for us to equip the church to do that. Uh, I think personal evangelism is going to become a premium. Uh, I read a study recently that, that 47% of Americans are never going to go to a church, ever. So yeah. we're only going to be able to reach about half of the of the people with the go to church strategy, which has been our strategy, honestly, for the past 20 years. We let's build great, you know, great churches, life giving churches and and people were loving to come. And that and a, and a lot of people still are. But what about these other, you know, 47 percent that are never going to dawn the door of a church? We'll, we'll have to teach our members how to be um, how to how to share their faith and and. Hmm. Be successful with personal evangelism. So, so those are some of the things that are on my heart. Right now. Yeah, I think that's a big shift because I think you're right. The shift was like invite your friend, bring him to the the seat in the house, and they'll get saved. But but this is if you're saying 47 percent of people will never go to a church, which means they'll probably never stream a church or any of those things that we think are going to work. We're going to have to do the one on one work of personal evangelism, which is not something we talk about a lot anymore in church. The, the secular, the building of the secular saint. I mean, that's yeah. As that is marketplace ministry about, yeah. or whatever. I mean, you know, I think that's, that's, that's a critical, critical piece. We're piece. totally in an invite. It's been an inviting culture. Hey, we have yeah. great coffee. We have great preaching. We have, you know, which is fine. Um, but I, but that's not the, really the pattern uh, or the model that you see in scripture, you know, where we were, we were to be fishers of men and we were to be, you know, the very last words out of Jesus' mouth is Acts 1-8, you know, be, be my witnesses yeah, <laughs> yeah. in every place you go. So um, it, I think it is very, very important for us to focus on. We're actually, I'm preparing a series of messages right now for this summer just to train, to train our people in, in um, marketplace evangelism, marketplace mm-hmm. ministry. Um, cause I think it's, I think it's key. Yeah. yeah that was, that was what I was going to ask. How are you shifting how you lead with that? Knowing this information and how do you shift how you lead? Obviously the sermon series, are you developing groups that are going to help people or how are you going to kind of get ahead of the, this, this, maybe not even ahead of it, but maybe catch up to it, up to it. Yeah. And, and find people that already do it well. So probably the number one evangelist that I know of in America who does not preach on, on any church stage is John Maxwell. Mm. Yeah, the man will go into 
secular companies and at the end of his leadership teaching all day will say, and by the way, everything I learned about leadership, I learned out of the Bible, uh, I'm going to dismiss. And if you, of course, he has to get the permission from the company to do right. this. Most yeah. of them give him permission to say, he'll say, we're going to dismiss. And if you'd like uh, to stay for an, an additional 15 minutes, I'm going to share my faith. And and half will will come uh, will stay for the extra fifteen minutes and and almost one hundred percent of them give their life to Jesus wow. in these secular companies. So um, I'm learning a lot from him, um, and I'm gonna actually even get. I was on the phone with him yesterday, saying, "Hey, I want to want a mentoring session for you to give me some nuggets so that when I teach this, um, you know, I do it with someone who already does it extremely well." That's incredible. Yeah, it's awesome. So much good stuff. <laughs> I know. I, do you have three or four more hours? That's the connection. <laughs> but his assistant's probably going to be texting me pretty yeah. soon and be like, Professor Chris's other appointments. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, for sure. Hey, we, we have loved having you on the show. I do wish we had more time and we appreciate so much your wisdom and the grace that you've given us today. Just, you know, kind of engaging with us. We do have one final question that we ask all the guests on our show. And it's what is one lesson that you learned in college that did not take place in the classroom? Classroom. I learned all of my disciplines um, in college hmm. uh, that did not take place in the classroom. I hmm. learned, I, I learned, that's where I learned to uh, devote my mornings to God. That's when I started fasting. I did my first fast when I was 19 years old. Um, I, I learned my spiritual disciplines in my college years and I'm, I'll be 59 this year. And, wow. and, um, and they, they have stuck with me all these years. And as, and I, I was actually talking to someone about it. I look back and that's where they all came from. Uh, and it's because I was around, guys, honestly, and I'm not saying this to float your boat. I was around guys like you who were mentoring, having a Friday mentoring session. And I was listening mm-hmm. and it worked yeah. and it stuck. That's and awesome. so thank you guys for doing what you guys do, because it really does work. It, it, it impacted my life in a huge. That's awesome. That's encouraging to us as we yeah. spend time, have our calendar full of students that we're going to meet with. So uh, Pastor Chris from everybody in the church world thank you because if if you go to a church that has next steps pastor chris had influence on that yeah so our growth track or whatever it is uh highlands and pastor chris and and their their environment has just influenced so much of the kingdom and has shaped so many people and so from from everybody in the church world i want to say thank you um not just for this time but for your impact in the kingdom um what i love about you and and i want to take time to say this is you are so humble in your leadership. Like most people don't even know who he is outside of church leaders, but he's leading an exceptionally large church, a great organization. And it's all about the kingdoms never above yeah. him. And we appreciate that and that about you. Um, and we are so thankful for your time. And as we always say here at the leadership drip, you always have a seat at the table. Thanks for taking time with us. I enjoyed it very much. Thanks. Thanks, Pastor Chris. Thanks for listening to this episode of the leadership drip. If something from this episode was helpful for you, then share it on your social media and tag us. If we see it, we may share it on our channels. We appreciate you taking the time to join us. And remember, you always have a seat at the table.